Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to Why Is It a Free? Those of you who are watching by live stream, and, and those of you who are there in our first back live church service, I want to welcome you as well. And you can tell that I am recording this, and there's a reason for that. Uh, Grace and I have been in a quarantine situation, though it's not been a bad thing. We are waiting for our youngest daughter and had been to give birth to um, both Kenzie and Merritt's first child. And that happened just a few days ago. And so we have now our third grandson, uh, his name being Tab Martin Jackley. And you can see my wife looking on with adoration like only a grandmother can do. And so we're so grateful and we're so thankful. I want to begin this morning by sharing a story. It's one you have maybe heard um, in the news. It's about Southwest flight attendant uh, Jack Ray Hill. Jack Ray Hill is a Dallas woman. She's African-American. And she talks about how she went to work one day and was really quite depressed. And yet how she ended it in high spirits merely because of a 10-minute conversation. Things Changed because of that interaction. Ten minutes. She writes in her Facebook post these words. Jackie writes, my heart was heavy and it, it was probably the same for most of you. And this was just a, a week or, or, or so after all the um, racial rioting and, and, and the killing of George Floyd. And so she was feeling the weight of that. She says, as I was driving to work, I had to really go to God with my thoughts because it would make it, it would just be so hard to smile at people as they'd board the plane with everything that was going on. But she noticed one guy as he was going on, he was carrying a book. And as flight attendants do, they kind of look at what's being read. And she saw that book and it was one she had put on her to-do list to read. And here's this white guy who goes back into about world 27 or something back there. And um, he's holding this book, and he's reading a book called White Fragility. And she knew in her mind that when she got to the point where she was done with some duties, she wanted to sit down with them. And so she gets done, goes to um, sit down with them, and, and she says it was really cool because he was there pretty much by himself. And, and she writes in her Facebook post, that was God. And, and then she begins to ask him how he is and, and then asks what he thought of the book. And in his reply was, well, I'm about halfway through it, and I have found it to be um, really good and helpful. It points out just how important these kind of conversations are that we as white have with blacks like yourself. And he thanked her so much for even asking about it. And as he was sharing some other thoughts, she just began to, um, to cry. Tears started just falling down her face. And she, she says, I have been so sad every day. And I just want to understand and be understood so that somehow together we can fix this. She says, I'm pretty sure it startled him when I dumped all my emotion on him. But his reply was really kind. He said, no, I'm so sorry. We have to have these difficult conversations like this. And so she goes on and she says, I told him about my prayer on my way into work that day and, and that he was an answer to my prayer, she says. Now, I love the other side of the story because this gentleman um, who she was talking to, this white guy who's sitting back in the, in the plane all kind of by himself, shares on another news source his thoughts and reflections. And he says, I, 
And when she came in, I felt wholly inadequate. But I knew that this was a special moment. And the best I could do was tell her that the book talks about just how difficult it is for white people to enter these conversations and, and how we're afraid to even in some ways do that and gives reasons and things for that. And yet at the end of the conversation, uh, he asks the flight attendant for her name and she gives her name and then he, it's so funny, he kind of says, I-, I thought for sure she knew who I was. She had no idea. And he gives his name Doug Parker. He's the CEO of American Airlines. And so what's the CEO of American Airlines flying on Southwest? Well, it so happens that there were no seats on American Airlines to Panama, so he had to take uh, another airline to do that. And they kind of laughed a little bit about it. And as he was leaving on his boarding pass, he, he wrote these words, thank you so much for coming back to speak with me. It was a gift from God and an inspiration to me. I find that really interesting. Here are two people saying, God, we've got to move forward in this. We've got to um, understand what justice means, because that's what we're going to look at in a moment. And I just want you to understand this story illustrates something around that. Justice, one of the first steps of justice is to listen and seek to understand. That's why these conversations are so important. I woke up this morning, and, and it's during that time that I usually reserve for, um, just for me to be quiet and alone and separate with God, and I journal, and I read the Word of God, and kind of meditate, and then pray, and, 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 and really try to connect my heart with God as I begin a day. And I read Psalm 99, I've been in the Psalms, and I read Psalm 99, and verse 4 stuck out to me. And it says this in the, um, the Passion Translation. puts it this way. A lover of justice is our mighty God. I love that. A lover of justice is our mighty God. I mean, if anybody wants justice, it's God. It's the God we serve. He is right in all his ways. He insists on being fair to all. Promoting true justice and righteousness in Jacob or in Israel. And wrote in my journal, my, my, my only thought after that was, was this. Jesus, with all the racial discord, how do we not only be lovers of justice, but seek to be fair and equitable in all our ways? Excited for Jim and Raquel to share. And I just pray God bless you as you serve him and as you walk with him this week. Well, good morning for those of you sitting in front of me and those of you out on the netherworld of the, the TV and the computer. Uh, I'm Mike Brinkman. I'm the pastor of operations here. Thank you. Waving. Hey. Uh, I'm Mike Brinkman. I'm the pastor of operations here at Ways Out of Free, and we're really excited you're here uh, worshiping with us uh, today. Um, Kevin Meyer, our lead pastor, has been going through ex- the book of Exodus uh, in the last several months. Uh, today is Exodus 23. So we aren't going to necessarily read that passage, but I want to point it out and encourage you that this week as you go, I'd love for you to go back and read Exodus 23. Uh, We'd also love for you to look at different verses of justice related to justice. Uh, Kevin pointed out the Psalm 99. 
Um, the Bible, it's a theme that goes, runs throughout. And so the, Exodus 23 talks about telling the truth. It talks about not oppressing the poor, uh, loving foreigners. It talks about um, do not um, denying justice. If you find something that belongs to somebody else, give it back to them. Very practical things. And so today our focus is really on that practical thing of whether you're in an airplane talking to somebody, uh, asking and listening and developing a relationship, or you're in your everyday world. Uh, we want to talk about some application for that. And so we've asked uh, a missionary couple that we support at Ways That Are Free um, that works in Minneapolis, Jim and Raquel Bloom, are going to come up. Uh, just to give you a little, little context, Jim grew up in our church. So some of you here or watching may be related to him. Um, some of you, some of you may have even gone to youth group type stuff with him, uh, with Jim and John Bloom when they were growing up in our church. Uh, many of you may have been involved in in their ministry, um, but uh, and many of you obviously maybe haven't heard of them much at all. But Jim and Raquel are doing some really neat uh, ministry things in Minneapolis, and so we just asked them here today to to look at some practicality of justice and mercy and what what does that look like in in their ministry and how does that apply to our church and those kind of things. So Jim and Raquel, if you would just kind of introduce yourselves, tell you, tell us um, who you are and a little bit about your ministry. Sure. Uh, As Mike mentioned, we grew up, I grew up in the church here. Uh, After Raquel and I were married, uh, we came back from the Philippines and spent three years here as well before ending up at uh, Bethlehem Baptist Church and I was on staff there for seven years. Um, before we joined Interchange. And so we've been in Interchange in the Minneapolis uh, neighborhood of Phillips for the past uh, 25 years. And uh, with Interchange, our goal really is, in brief, is to make disciples of those living in communities that are facing uh, poverty and marginalization. And uh, our driving desire really is uh, that we communicate the love of Jesus, right? We communicate Jesus. We want to share the gospel of Jesus and the fact that he is the sacrifice for our sins that reconciles us to God and that he's coming again and he will make all things, uh, all things right. So when we think of that in terms of our ministry, uh, a big part of what we do is what we call incarnational ministry. Jesus uh, emptied himself and uh, became flesh and dwelt among us in order to communicate this message. And so for us in Interchange, uh, first of all, it's a model for us, that incarnation. Uh, Paul says that he who was rich became poor so that through his poverty he may make others rich. So he's a model that we follow. He's also, that incarnation is also a method that we follow. And uh, so much of what we do is cross-cultural. Proximity is important for us. Building relationships, uh, getting to know people, taking a learning posture is extremely important. I'll give you an example. When I, uh, early on, when we first came into the, we're we're basically into the neighborhood, I was... uh, I was on Franklin Avenue, I believe, and I was just sitting at a bench, and, and an American Indian man sat next to me, and we began to talk. Um, and somewhere in the conversation, I, I try—I began to just talk to him about Jesus, or share Jesus. 
He just put up his hand and said, stop. I don't want you to give me your your white Jesus. And that sort of ended the conversation right there. So it was clear, right, that there was going to be a lot of learning going on about how to bridge those barriers. And when we're talking about justice, the reason that there are barriers there to begin with is because of a history of injustice. But it's necessary to have the relationships to be near people, to be proximal. In addition to the incarnation of Jesus being our model and our method, it is also our message. It is our message that Jesus came to love the people, to be in relationship with him. And the people in our communities are loved by Jesus. He has gone before us, and he is the one that will work through us. And the people in our community are the most important assets that we have. Many years ago, before we even joined Interchange, I was ministering at a homeless shelter. And I met a woman who was homeless, living in the shelter with her five kids and struggling with addiction. We started to build a relationship with her. And at some point in the relationship, she asked us, at that time we were living um, by the University of Minnesota, because Jim was doing college ministry, college and young adults ministry. And she asked us, would you move in my neighborhood? And that really pierced us. But we told her, yes, if God calls us to your neighborhood, we will move to your neighborhood. And of course, a couple years later, we were in the neighborhood. And that move into the neighborhood for her made a huge impact. And she continues to talk about it today as something that she is so thankful for that that we moved in. And yet, the bigger thing was that she had the courage to allow us into her life. So, Well, and I love the fact that, uh, as I was talking to Jim and Raquel before this, just that whole relationship piece. The piece of, I'm going to go live there. I'm going to live in that community. They live in a community that would be seen as a poverty area, multicultural, multiracial, um, and being on the ground of that. I also love um, when you guys talked about the fact that you are really investing in the leadership teams as well, or the neighborhood leadership stuff. So it's not just connecting with individuals. It's also, uh, you know, Lake Street has its own neighborhood team or neighborhood organization and speaking into that and how do we walk alongside that. Um, and so I, I was really struck by the fact that there's some incredible potential impact through being where they live, showing them that it's okay, that I'm different than you or I'm the same as you and we're talking about Jesus. Um, clearly the area you live is uh, was significantly impacted by the racial um, riots and those kind of things and clearly uh, COVID is impacting all of us. Um, tell me a little bit about how your ministry has been impacted by the whole virus piece and the whole social racial injustice um, yeah, sure. Uh, obviously, COVID-19, let's talk about that first, has uh, made a big impact and has affected us um, indirectly. Well, actually directly because of relationships. Um, personally, we haven't been that affected in terms of our own physical 
health and stuff. But one of the things we've learned and what we said is that really the COVID-19 thing has shut the world down, right? God shut the world down, really, with COVID-19, maybe for the first time in, in this extent. And we think that one of the things, we don't know all that God is saying, but one of the things we think he may be saying in that, right, was from Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God has shut us down in hopes, I think, that we will listen. So we're praying that we're paying attention to what God may be saying in in uh, the shutdown. Are we listening to God? What is he saying during this season? Um, for us as a, as a team, it's affected us. Uh, obviously, we can't, we couldn't meet as, as teams, so we've had to do a lot of things, uh, obviously, online. Uh, our Bible studies that we've been doing have been online. Uh, we are involved in uh, a team in Interchange now that is ministering and, and helps start new teams around the world. So we're involved in mentoring new team leaders, but that has restricted our travel. We haven't been able to go where the places we thought we would be going. Uh, so we've had to do a lot of things. Uh, online uh, as well. Uh, COVID-19 reminds us that life is a vapor and it is short and that we are but dust. Sadly, one of the foreigners or immigrants like me that God has given us the privilege to love died two weeks ago of COVID-19. She is a beautiful Somali woman who runs a coffee shop across the street from our house. And in spite of the language barrier, she has really embraced us into her family and into her community. She has really shown us so much hospitality. And she has also helped us as we organized on our block uh, to address some of the violence that we were seeing in our in our neighborhood. Also, we, prior to COVID, we were starting to meet with a Latino couple to do discovery Bible studies, and the husband in that family, all of them got COVID, but the husband ended up in the hospital, and she is, and he is still at the hospital, but he is getting better and needing some physical therapy to relearn how to walk and things like that. So obviously the second thing that's been on everybody's mind has been the murder of George Floyd. And uh, George Floyd's murder was really a spark that ignited the subsequent protests and riots that took place. Um, but what took place really was just one more kind of volcanic eruption that was caused by the, the building of pressure that comes from the racial injustice um, that has takes place not only in our neighborhood and our state, but throughout the um, just throughout our nation and our world. So, um, and it's not the first eruption that's happened. So, um, it shouldn't have been surprising that something like that took place, but it still stuns us and and was and was really affecting uh, for us personally as well. So, um, one of the things we've learned from that, too, is in Second Peter 3, uh, Peter writes that uh, the coming judgment of God, 
there will be fire. And he says, and that fire of that judgment will expose the works that have been done on the earth. We have seen that the fires that were burning in our neighborhood, um, these were a kind of a foreshadowing of this kind of judgment that have exposed the works that have been done um, in our city, in our state, and in our nation. Right? These expose some of the works of injustice on which the foundations have been built of our city. And, uh, and those are things that we need to come to grips with. We need to be honest about that history because until we do, we won't share a common memory together. Um, with those who have actually been suffering under that, uh, that oppression as well. We need to come to grips that this is a history that we share, and it isn't always, uh, it isn't always pretty. And, but we need to be honest about it, and that it's true, because these are why the things, these things keep popping up and happening. Um, another thing uh, that's taken place is that... Um, because of this, because both of the things happening together has affected, obviously, people's mental health uh, as well, and uh, and has shaken people, shaken people on our team. It's things that they've had to, we've had to really wrestle with in terms of how do we respond. And when we talked earlier, uh, you talked a lot about righteousness, and and there's no um, justice without righteousness. And righteousness is a is another way to saying rightness, um, behaving the way you should. Now, obviously, as we talk about Jesus' behavior um, and Jesus, the morality and the justice and the mercy that He lays out, um, that God lays out in His Word. Um, there's a lot of rightness, righteousness that we need to seek. Um, how, how do we do that with in a context like this. Do you have any thoughts on righteousness and maybe some humility thrown in there as well? Yeah. So one of the verses that drives interchange, that's kind of our theme verse, is Micah 6, 8, right? It says, He has shown you, oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I mean, you can almost hear the prophet speaking this out, especially at the beginning. Listen. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. He has shown us what is good and what the Lord requires of us. Right? That's to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. Jesus basically encapsulates that, right? When he tells about what is the great, greatest commandment, right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we are so used to that verse and that message that we just sort of pass over it, but that is an incredibly uh, confronting passage and extremely hard to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, in this are all the law and the prophets. If we could just love our neighbor the way that we want to be loved... Love them as yourself to show mercy. You could do the law and the prophets together. So after he talks about that, Jesus gives a story, right? He tells a story about a Samaritan traveling along the road and it comes across uh, a Jew that had been beaten on the road. So Jesus tells that story as an answer to who is my neighbor that I'm supposed to love? Well, that neighbor could be, in fact, your enemy. That was what was taking place here. It was an enemy enemy. 
confronting each other, but showing mercy and showing love. Jesus tells us we are to love our enemies as well. And he showed mercy to that person, and he loved that person. That's also what is telling us. It could be that it's to means to love your enemies, to love those that aren't easy, to love the ones that you don't really want to be near. It's who we need to be near. Now, he doesn't tell this in the story, but it could be go a little further. There are robbers in the hill that keep coming out and beating people up along the way. Maybe something and the way to love your neighbor is to do something about the robbers who continue to do this, to make the way safe. If I'm saying I want to love my neighbor as myself, I would love to walk that road and be safe and not worry about robbers. But they're coming. This is one way of talking about systemic injustice. These are the people, the robbers in the hills that are coming out. Now, you probably have heard uh, it said, uh, give a man a fish, you can feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, and he can eat for a lifetime. Right? We're talking there about re- the difference between relief and development. But there's another, av- there's another piece to that. What happens if the man can't have access to the fish? What if there's no access to the fish? Even if he knows how to fish, he's still not going to be able to feed himself because there's no access. Now, this has uh, this this hits the road for us in, in a real way. Let me just give you an example. There's a project going on right now called uh, Mapping Prejudice Project. Maybe some of you have heard about it or not. But what it is, what it was doing, is mapping in Minneapolis, mainly Hennepin County all the different land covenants that have been made. And those land covenants were made in order to keep people of color out of those neighborhoods. They couldn't buy a house there because of what was written in this land covenant. Now, it hadn't always been this way. In night, before 1910, um, African Americans were buying homes in places in Minneapolis. There was an incident in Prospect Park where a, a black doctor... And his family tried to buy a home, and the neighborhood went up in arms, basically rioted and drove them out so that they couldn't buy a home. Then they discovered that you could put land covenants, these developers or real estate agents, that would inhibit and keep people of color from buying those homes in certain areas. Now, if you go to that website, just on the front page, it's just called Mapping Prejudice, You scroll down, there's a map that just keeps scrolling over and over. And it will show you how those land covenants began to spread and where they were in Minneapolis. And you can see why our neighborhood in South Minneapolis, the Phillips neighborhood and area, why there's a concentration of poverty there. And why people were forced to move there. And not only were there the land covenants, there was a thing called redlining where banks were saying, we're not going to lend in hazardous areas. Well, they named the hazardous areas the places where people of color lived, whether they were actually hazardous or not. So people couldn't get loans for houses in those areas. That was our neighborhood. So there's a reason why uh, it's hard for people to get wealth, because buying homes is one way of increasing our wealth and passing it on to our generations. So this, this stopped, and that kind of prejudice push people into an area of our neighborhood. And when you push people together like that with different issues or problems or, and poverty, things happen. 
And so that affects us today. The housing, the ability to buy houses, the the wealth issues are with us today. And the mistrust of, especially me as a white person, in that neighborhood because of what's taken place in the past. And here's another way that we've addressed that issue. So one of, one of the doors that, that God has opened to us through our ministry is that we met a missions-minded investor who um, became aware that one of the three basic needs in our community is housing, jobs, and daycare. And so he was willing to purchase an apartment building if we were willing to form a small property management company that would integrate providing affordable housing with um, the gospel. So there's um, um, a young man that Jim has discipled since he was a PhD student at the University of Minnesota who's very gifted, and he was willing to take the lead on that, and we're partnering and supporting him. And through that effort... It's a, it's a very miraculous story. So um, this all happened during the housing crisis in 2008. So God really pulled through, and um, the investor was able to purchase an apartment building. We were able to start helping managing it. It was known as the pits because of all the crime that was associated with the building and the previous management company, we knew exactly how they felt about the residents of the building, which we were, of course, very uh, sad and upset about. But anyways, um, through that effort, we are able to address housing affordability issues, barriers to housing, such as criminal history, um, economic status, and um, even language and literacy barriers. People who really don't speak English or can't read or write. So so that has been um, an important piece that God opened for us, and we're very grateful for all the lessons that we're learning through that. And I'll be the first to, to tell you that it is hard, but um, we, we are grateful that God has promised that the suffering of this present world is not worthy, worthy to be compared to the glory that he has to reveal to us. Just uh, other thought of what you had said, right? So righteousness and justice are connected in the fact that we need to be right with God. We need to have his righteousness in order to do justice. You may hear the terms out there a lot, right? No justice, no peace. Um, but people's idea of justice is all over the map. But, but God has specific standards and requirements. And he intends to give us his righteousness and his love. And as, as uh, Kevin was, was reading in the passage, right, he's, he's talking about God being a God of justice, and all his ways are right ways. Those are, that is righteousness. We cannot do justice without righteousness. 
not at least the justice that God requires. And one of the things that we say, right, is that actually there's, with no righteousness, no justice. No justice, no peace. So, though the riots and the, and the civil unrest that took place exposes uh, injustice that has been done, even by the church, over, the, over our history, um, even though that is taking place, we're not saying that those things are working the righteousness of God, right? It's not. The anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. But it does expose issues in our lives. But we do need to be people who are right with God. We need to be seeking a righteousness and following in obedience to Jesus to work out his, his justice. Well, and I think that's where you see in, like Exodus 23, like we, we were talking about we're there today. Uh, you know, speak the truth. That's God's challenge of righteousness. Uh, it, there doesn't have to be a racial component. There doesn't have to be a poverty, social, economic component for us to be truthful. There's the, don't, you know, if you find something that doesn't belong to you and you know who it came from, give it back to them. That's a righteousness piece. That's a step of us saying, how are we going to live, especially when people aren't watching us? And how does that work and what does that look like? Um, and so, as um, Jim and Raquel mentioned, it's, it's an exposure of the fact that it's one more reason for us to be driven back to the righteousness of, of God and what does that look like. And you find that throughout the Bible, you find that throughout um, the teachings and even the people that Jesus hung out with were often the poor and the sinners and the and the societal downtrodden and, and all that. And with that comes humility. It's the humility of the story of the president of the airline. He could be saying... Yeah, I'm the president of the airline. I, what do I care about this woman walking up and down? Yes, I'm concerned about race, but eh, I'm not. I just want to fly. Well, I, part of it, I think, is the humility of us saying we are not entitled to that. And one of the words I just struggle with all the time is our culture says we deserve something. You deserve to have a vacation. You deserve to be have a new car. You deserve. As soon as we use the word deserve, it's an entitlement piece. And so I think as you look biblically, it's humility, it's God saying, and throughout the Bible saying, we really deserve nothing that doesn't, and anything we have comes from God. And so as we look at that, we can look at that entitlement piece and, well, I deserve this, or we can look at that and say, what if I don't deserve any of this? And what if Jesus just needs to work through my heart? And some of us have gone through situations where that's a real challenge for us. There's been some real pain in our lives. Others, yeah, I, this is brand new. I'm not sure that I've been, you know, oppressing the poor or being untruthful or whatever. But is this an opportunity for us to figure out how do we apply that justice that Exodus 23 talks about, Psalm 99 talks about throughout the, the Bible? So in a couple minutes that we have left with Jim and Raquel, will you just share what, um, so we don't live in the Phillips neighborhood. It's my neighborhood has some diversity, but not as much poverty, or that's, that's not part of the dynamic that where I live. What, what do I do, or what does our church do? What, how do we see any advice for us with that of justice and mercy? Sure. Um, one of the things that we did, even as we wrote a, a newsletter that went out, um, after after this took place was just to invite people to join us because um, we're all learning and we're all needing needing to grow but as the Holy Spirit leads to do these things the first two things is one is to repent right our need to repent of 
the injustice that's taken place. And secondly, to lament and to grieve and to pray over what's happened. Now, sometimes we feel like, what do I repent of? I didn't do that, right? I wasn't there. I didn't do that. Now, we have to realize that we are connected, whether we like it or not. Uh, In the book of Daniel, Daniel's doing the same thing, right? When he's pleading with God about his people, about coming back from the exile of Babylon, he begins to plead and to repent of the sins of his forefathers, the people that brought us here. And he identified with them, saying, we have done this. Well, Daniel didn't. The Bible says Daniel was beloved by God. He was righteous. God heard his prayer. But Daniel identified, we did this. So we can't separate ourselves. Whether we were there or not, we have, we're connected, especially as people who are white, we are connected with some of the, with the injustices of what took place, especially among the American Indian as well, of the land that was taken. So we need to be willing to humble ourselves. God emptied himself. We also follow that footstep. We need to empty ourselves with repentance and to grieve and to pray. We need to increase our awareness and our common memory. Learn to change the narrative of what's out there. Uh, Just learning about our history. I do what we call a reflective theology tour, in part to do that, to say this is how we understand and learn how to minister and share the good news, is that we have to know the history and and the people that we are now dealing with so that we have compassion, so that we understand, so that we can repent where we need to. Um, Fourthly is to build relationships. There are relationships with people around you. You don't have to go to a certain neighborhood. You have people around you. But we have to be intentional. It it won't just happen. We, We need to know where people are and be willing to try to form relationships. And then we need to be able to be willing to speak up, act, um, and commit to act to do something. We need to be willing to speak up about when we see something that's wrong and, and stand for what is right. And we need to be committed to make some action steps and act. Well, and as Jim and I were talking earlier this week, or last week, I guess it was, um, it, some of it is there are opportunities everywhere. And we just may have to look a little harder. Um, you can walk up to Interfaith Outreach community partners up on the uh, corner of 6 and 101, um, they deal with multiracial, multi-poverty, social economic stuff all the time. That's half a mile from us. Um, some of you have areas in your neighborhood you can do that. You can do that through the church. Some of it is just putting ourselves in a position for God to touch us and saying, okay, God, uh, what is it that you have for me? Uh, and some of us may be like Jim who are called from this church to go serve in another in another area, in another land, whatever, most of us will be called by God to impact our neighborhoods, impact the people that we come in contact with, invest in them, support them, and challenge them. And so as we look to say, okay, if Exodus 23 says, live by justice, mercy, um, and uh, and by Exodus 23, I do mean 23. It sounded like the wrong number when it came out of my mouth. Um, Exodus 23 says, hey, live by justice, live by mercy. Those are the things we can do within our family, within our, with our jobs, within our uh, relationships with our community, uh, and with our relationship with God. And so um, just to, to do an um, in-person um, rearrange here, I'm going to um, pray for Jim and Raquel. 
Then I'm going to give some final thoughts, just because we're going to have to rearrange the stage for the the worship people to come back up. The worship people will come back up and sing. I'll come up and uh, and lead us in worship, and then I'll come back up and do a closing prayer. So if that works, um, let's pray for Jim and Raquel. Lord, I I thank you for the blooms. I thank you for how they have walked for so many years, uh, decades in the in a neighborhood that's a challenge. Um, Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom as a church and how we can support them, whether that's financially or information-wise or get um, just relationships with them, encouragement. I pray that you would um, just use their words and their wisdom that they brought to us today to challenge us to walk alongside and to work in our heart. And um, And I pray that you would um, really bless us because of that relationship and um, also humble us because of that relationship and show us how we can learn to love other people in a, in a way that is just and righteous and, and uh, leads us to that presence. Lord, I, I pray for the Blooms ministry going forward. I just pray for wisdom. I pray for safety. I pray for an opportunity that this all this um, disease and virus and the racial stuff um, allows that open doors for them to walk in and just glorify you in many ways. Um, thank you, for Lord, for this time. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, thank you, Jim and Raquel. If you, you can go ahead and sit in the soft seats over there, and I will just... I just want to finish with a couple thoughts. Um, if you look at a... What, is that a weekly that you um, hopefully got digitally or potentially picked up out in the, the lobby? Uh, you'll see that the women, women's ministry are hosting a coffee chat on Thursday uh, this week. Bring your favorite beverage. Bring a chair. Hang out. Come and hang out outside. Um, with the women of our church and just um, celebrate. It is women hanging out with the women of our church, just to be clear. So we're, if you're a woman, come join us. Uh, and then I personally just want to thank you for walking alongside uh, the church family as we've gone through some, some of the challenges in this spring and fall. Um, the first one that comes obvious because I'm the operations guy, I deal a lot with the budget. I want to thank you for your generosity at the end of the year. Our budget year ended at the end of June. Uh, in February, we were $240,000 behind budget giving. At the end of June, we were less than $11,000 behind budget giving. It's, it's miraculous. It just is, it's humbling that you guys as a church, absolutely. And I say all the time, one of my biggest challenges is helping people understand what the value of that number is to ministry. And it's things like Jim and Raquel, that we are, part of our ministry budget goes to them. Part of our ministry budget goes around the world. Part of our ministry budget serves this community. All of those things. Uh, in addition to lights and snow plows and air conditioning and things like that. Um, and so we finished uh, just short $11,000. Uh, we had a $10,000 match at the end of June. We easily matched that. Um, that was really exciting. Um, and then, so the amount of savings that the staff saved in spending, as well in just in strategic savings, as well as the COVID stuff, has saved us some money. Um, we were easily we're easily able to offset that eleven thousand. So we move into next year in a positive way financially, and it just puts us in a great position, uh, especially when the who knows what's happening with the economy and who knows what the challenges are ahead. Um, it does um, turn out that if you don't like. If you have a lower level of a 60,000 square foot building and you just don't turn on lights for a couple months downstairs, turns out it saves you some money. So we've been benefiting from that and some of those kind of things. So that's been uh, super helpful as well. Uh, and there's also this week I received the official notice that we had paid off one of our um, mortgages loans. Uh, we had two. Thank you. Absolutely. 
So we paid that off about a month or so ago. So that was a, we had two seven hundred thousand dollars approximately loans. Well, we paid one of those off, and we made up the money, and we're looking to go into the next year. So from an operations guy, that just makes ministry so much easier, so much more powerful uh, in a way that we can just glorify God through that. Um, one note about that: um, you guys have done a great job of not having an offering as it goes by you on a Sunday morning. Um, and so we will, we are discontinuing that going forward. Uh, I think most churches will look at discontinuing their offering, passing a plate, um, just because of the safety and health forever. And so what we have done, at least short term, and we'll see how long term it gets, um, there is an offering box in the back of the uh, sanctuary, uh, right in the middle, or there's two boxes that are attached to the wall, one in the lobby where the next step area is right out the back doors, or one in the lobby over by the reception desk. Um, you can put your connecting cards in there if you have them. You can put um, financial gifts in there. We still would prefer, there's many online options or um, you gave, um, many of you have given or given through checks, have done a great job of just mailing them in. Um, so that's been a huge blessing. Uh, we just want you to know there's some, we're continuing function with that. I also want to just thank you for um, a number of the things that you have supported us and encouraged us as we've walked through this time. Uh, you've, we've had a great response to viewers of the live stream. It's been exciting. The numbers have been good. The responses have been good. Um, we really appreciate you um, logging in, watching, worshiping with us, even when you can't be in the same building. Um, walking alongside us as we've tried to figure out some of this racial injustice stuff. We've got some information on the website you can look at. We've tried to walk in there, step into that. We're looking at um, are there relationships that we can build with other churches and other people, um, whether it's strengthening things like relationships with Bloom or brand new ones, whatever the, uh, the case is. Uh, we appreciate you walking along. And then as we started to reopen the building a little bit, this this morning being one example of that, um, we've also um, seen small groups um, starting to meet in the building. Um, we're dealing with life um, events. Um, Jim Almquist is a longtime member. Um, he was the facility guy when I first came. Um, he passed away a couple of months ago. They're having a memorial service August 1st, so we're figuring that out. Um, we had a baby shower yesterday uh, in the fellowship hall uh, with a group that came in. Um, all of this trying to figure out how do we do this. We have a couple weddings coming up. Um, you know, How do you have a group that celebrates your wedding and still stay six feet apart from each other and wear masks and all the things and uh, whatever? Hopefully the washing the hands is not as big a challenge in that. But, um, but we're continuing to walk through that journey, and I appreciate and I want to say thank you personally for you walking alongside that with us. We had a coffee shop event out in the parking lot uh, recently and people really responded positively. Uh, Many of you have been involved in the virtual stuff. We have a hundred and some, a hundred plus kids come for VBS, Vacation Bible School. Okay, we can't do that and have kids social distance. So the kids ministry... um, the church did a great job of putting together packets and they set up for two days a drop off and you could come up and get a packet and you could do vacation Bible school in your community, in your house. You can do it whenever they have support raising, support ways to support them. Uh, the youth did a serve week this last week where they, um, again, they came and picked up packets of ideas on serving and serving a, a number of things were really even related to some of our seniors in our church. Um, just the creativity. It's so much easier if we can just have everybody come here and we do some stuff and then we send everybody home. Um, but virtually it's much more tricky and difficult and we uh, appreciate you guys walking alongside of us and being creative with us. 
Um, we've watched our outreach pastor, George Kenworthy, resigned at the end of June. Um, but if you know George at all, you know he's going to teach college kids. Um, that's his heart. That's his sweet spot. He loves college kids. He loves teaching. And so as much as we're sad that he's not on staff, he'll continue to attend. He's moving along. Uh, we've had the opportunity to hire a new worship guy uh, just this week. Um, we'll start next month. And so just the idea that God continues to do really cool stuff um, has been exciting. And, you know, that's before we get to things like how do we start the fall? Do we do services so we can get more people in here? Do we, I, I, we're just, it's just a challenge uh, as much as in our families and our jobs as, as well as in our, in our worship time. So uh, I wanted to thank you for that personally. Uh, it really means a lot to the staff and the church that you are walking alongside that with us. Um, I'm more and more convinced as I go through um, the last couple months that, that we are designed to be in community. And whether that community, oftentimes that community is in the same building, we have been stressed with that lately. And so how do we do community without being in the same building? Uh, and so um, I've said in the past, you know, Christianity is really a team sport. Everybody has different positions you work together. If you don't understand sports, don't care, that doesn't a good good uh, illustration for you. Um, think of it as a family. We each have roles in our family, and our family supports each other and looks, works together. If your family isn't a great illustration for you, it's a community. It's the community of us coming together and saying, we as a body of Christ want to be righteous, want to be just, want to um, work through that with us. And so um, we're created, I'm convinced, to be in a position to come into presence of God, looking for opportunities for him to touch our lives and to do that together. And so I want to uh, thank you and celebrate uh, the ways that you have invested in that and uh, been patient with the ways that we've tried to be creative in investing in that as well. Um, and thank you for walking alongside us in this challenging time. So.